0: to a special edition of our show History on the Rocks with Katie and Allie. Normally it's just Allie and I hanging out with a couple of cocktails talking about famous women in history, but sometimes we like to talk to people who are writing about famous women in history. <laughs> we have a very special guest here with us today, Renee
1: Rosen. Welcome back to the show. Uh,
2: thank you. It's good to be back here.
1: Renee is a best-selling author who has actually been here before to talk about her 2021 book, The Social Graces, and she's here with us today to talk about her latest historical fiction, Fifth Avenue Glamour Girl. Can you remind our listeners a little bit about you?
2: So um, let's see. I write historical fiction um, all time periods. I've written Gilded Age. That was the last time I was on the the podcast. We were talking about that Um, up through the 60s and 70s. So I kind of hop around and I do a mix of real historical, actual figures sprinkled in with some fictional characters. So it's uh, I try and make it something different than what you could find on, say, a Wikipedia article. <laughs> uh, so, um, yeah. So and this is my new book that's about to come out.
0: Perfect. We're so excited to get into it. But of course, we have made a cocktail in honor of your book. So this is called Fifth Avenue Glamour Girl. And when I think of Fifth Avenue Glamour, I think of going out to lunch and having like a nice, bright little cocktail. (laughs) So that's (laughs) what I made. So this is gin, honey, honey lime juice, Aperol, and a little bit of peach liqueur. And it comes out this gorgeous pink color. Oh,
2: that is (laughs) so beautiful. I'm not, I'm going to have to try that. Yeah. (laughs) Sounds delicious. Mm -hmm. Mm
1: -hmm. It really is. And the Aperol
2: really hits just right. Mm -hmm. Okay. So
1: before we dive into your book, let's set the scene for the time period. This book follows the career of Estee Lauder, who is now a household name in cosmetics, what was the time period like when she was living and working and what was life like for women in her time period?
2: So, you know, Estée really sort of started to make her way in the cosmetic industry, you know, rose from absolute obscurity to being the queen of the uh, the whole makeup world, but it was during the depression. And, um, she literally was making, um, lotions and, uh, face creams out of her Upper West Side apartment, and then hocking her wares at beauty salons all over Manhattan. And that was really how she got her start. And, you know, it was, in, time, in terms of for a woman, um, even though she was in a very feminine field of yeah. cosmetics, it was still very hard for a woman to break through. And, um, you know, she went back to the head buyers at Saks countless times telling them, she really wanted to be in Saks Fifth Avenue, telling them, you know, you have to carry my products. And they're like, nobody's interested in Estee Lauder. And she literally had to prove to them um, that she could bring people in for her products. And she ended up with a line out the door with what she did, so. That's um, amazing.
0: (laughs) And so the other main character in the book is a woman named Gloria Downing. So as you said before, you kind of like to add in a fictional character, and we're kind of seeing Estée through her eyes. Now, she's fictional, but did you base her off of any particular person in Estée's life? Like, why this character, who we come to find out has kind of a a shady past a little bit with her family. (laughs) So can you tell us a little bit about Gloria?
2: So, you know, characters sometimes um, will just come onto a page fully formed. It's rare. Usually you have to, you know, fight for them to talk to you a little bit. But Gloria just popped onto the page. And the first thing she said to me was, I cannot tell a lie, although that's not entirely true. <laughs> and I was like, oh, my God, who is this woman? And she just took off and, you know, she's fictional. but I have her positioned as Estee's close friend and confidant and the keeper of Este's secrets. And Este had a lot of secrets. And um, it seemed like it was a, that Gloria served as the right vehicle for telling Este's story. Um, You know, Gloria, at the start of the book, is trying to change her entire life. Her father has been in a scandal gone public. It's on the front page of every newspaper. She ducks into a beauty salon, basically, and changes her hair, changes her name. And that's where she first encounters Estee Lauder, mm. whose first words to her are, that's the wrong lipstick shade for you. <laughs> um, and, uh, you know, they become unlikely friends, but really tight friends. Mm. And, uh, and it was just one of those things where Gloria just started telling me the story. It was a gift from the writing gods. And I was like, Mm -hmm. okay, I'm going to follow this. Mm -hmm. So
1: So you said that Estee rose from pretty much obscurity and then really had to fight to get her product on the shelves. What was the beginning of her career like?
2: Um, she was tenacious. She, you know, Estee went everywhere with samples of her products and she was very, she had no boundaries. So if she saw a woman on the street with dry skin, she would go, (laughs) you need a better moisturizer here, try this. And she would hand her a product. And she believed so much in her products that if she's like, if people could just try them, even if I have to give them away for free, I know they'll come back and buy. And that's what she would do. She would go up to complete strangers and say, let me give you a facial, you know, or you need a different eyeshadow, try this. And so, you know, the fact that she was selling 24-7, you know, she never went anywhere without her products and she never stopped selling. There wasn't a conversation that she couldn't steer towards, you know, you, you could be talking about anything and, you know, a drought. And she would turn it into a conversation about cosmetics. Um And she could sell ice cubes to Eskimos. She was <laughs> really that good. And uh so, but, you know, it, it was hard for her. And she was going up against Helena Rubenstein, uh Elizabeth Arden, and Charles Revson, who was the head of Revlon. And they were tough cookies. And, you know, she had to redo her packaging. She, you know... She had to find really ingenious ways to break through mm-hmm. because also getting any kind of counter space in a department store, especially like Saks Fifth Avenue, was next to impossible. Right, And she really did have to prove to Bob Fisk, who was a head buyer at Saks, that she deserved to be there.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Now, I'm a person who I've basically discovered facial moisturizer in the past Year or two. And uh, you know, my mom told me to put toothpaste on my face when I was a teenager. So I'm relatively new to the cosmetics game. Um, but what made her product so special? How did she make it? Where did this recipe come from?
2: Well, that's a great question. So her uncle, her uncle John, really was her introduction to skincare. Um, he uh, had a laboratory uh and when she was growing up she loved to go hang out in there she she'd always had an interest in beauty and hair and skin and all that but it was really her uncle who inspired her and taught her about facials taught her about skincare um and she kind of took his basic recipes um to base her own products on but he also made like poultry lice killer and embalming fluid and you know it was kind of an interesting um jumping off point for her but she really based her products on her uncle, uh, formulas and she improved upon them. But, uh, you know, she was literally making them in her kitchen mm-hmm. and, you know, got her husband involved, got her son involved. Um, you know, it was always a family run, family owned business, like from the very beginning and very secretive. Mm-hmm. Nobody knew what went into her ingredients, um, and I will share with you one story that uh, she had a client who was down in Florida and she said, keep this moisturizer. It's so humid there. Keep it in your refrigerator. She was having a luncheon and I guess her cook or housekeeper, or whatever, mistook the lotion for salad dressing <laughs> and put it on the salad and everybody ate it. And uh, nobody got, and, and Estee was boasting. She's like, "My my products are so natural. You could even eat it. she said it didn't taste half bad either so um so you know I guess you could say her products were very pure yeah
1: (laughs) well they'd have to be if they're made in the kitchen right yeah (laughs) (laughs) so obviously that's a surprising story to accidentally eat facial cream on your salad but were there any other things that when you were researching for this book were there surprising stories that you were like I had no idea that happened
2: Oh my god, there, there are a ton, but I, there's spoilers, and this yeah. book is full of spoilers, so I, I can't, I can tiptoe around them a little yeah. bit, yeah, but tiptoe. Um, yeah, tiptoe. Um, you know, I can tell you, um, well, just a couple of facts that I found when I was researching that were really surprising. Um, you know the slant, the shape of a lipstick, that slant?
1: Mm-hmm.
2: That, lipsticks used to be shaped like a bullet. And it was actually Estee's son who was looking at that, thinking about the shape of a woman's lips, and just literally picked up a razor blade and made that slice, so that angle, so it would be easier to apply. Um, so that was one. Another thing that really surprised me was that women, um, you know, Estee had a nose, and she really wanted to get into the fragrance world. But women generally did not buy perfumes and fragrances for themselves back then because it was considered overly indulgent. You know, it was just, you didn't do that. Men bought women perfume, women bought other women perfume, but you didn't buy your own, you know, perfume for yourself. And so she came up with this fragrance, and she knew all women were bathing. They took baths. So if she could come up with a bath oil that also had a fragrance, then she'd get them over that that hurdle. But again, nobody wanted um a you know, uh it's not that nobody wanted, but the the buyers at Saks did not want her to go into the fragrance department. They said, just stick with skincare. We got enough fragrance. So what Estée did was she took a bottle of Youth Dew and she accidentally on purpose dropped it on the floor in Saks Fifth Avenue. And everybody started smelling this fragrance and saying, "What what is it? Where do I buy it? <laughs> so that was how she not only got youth due into sex with avenue but it was all, she also ended up making a spray, so it was what that did was open up the entire marketplace um for uh for cosmetics uh for fragrances rather um it really just got women over that hurdle that they could actually buy a fragrance for themselves mm-hmm. so she was a real innovator you yeah, know. Yeah. I love all those that. little perfume packets that came mm-hmm. in your, um, your, you guys are too young to remember this, but you used to get your credit card statement. Mm-hmm. And there were always these little perfume, uh, inserts. And that was an Estee thing.
0: I remember them in magazines. Yeah. 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 Gosh, she just sounds like such an incredible innovator, you know, I'm yes. like, and just always going that extra mile. I, she just seems like such a hard worker to me. Um, I mean, and you talked about finding these really fun stories about her life. What was the research process like for this book? Where were you finding this information? Did she keep a journal? Were they were there letters?
2: Well, so um I always start with reading, you mm-hmm. know, and I had Estee's biography. I had an unauthorized biography. I had books about the makeup industry. I'm looking at my bookshelf right now yeah. and seeing all the, all the Estee Lauder books. Um, so I always start with that. And then, um, because we were in the middle of the pandemic, I couldn't go to New York like I wanted to, to do some of the hands-on research, but I was able to talk to people who either had worked for Estee Lauder, or had worked in cosmetic sales or in that industry. And that was super helpful. Um, and, um, you know, I watched some documentaries and, uh, you know, had to call on my own memories of New York, you know, and being at Saks Fifth Avenue and, and at the flagship store and all that. Um, so, you know, I felt like that was a good foundation to to work off of.
1: Did you find yourself really getting into it to the point where you're like, I'm only gonna wear Estee Lauder, cosmetics <laughs> and lotions for the entire time I'm writing?
2: Well, I've always been a big Estee Lauder okay. fan, you know? So, and um, and it was really weird while I was writing this. I've never I, I've never gotten this sort of mail before, but I kept getting this gift with purchase notice from Estee Lauder. It was so weird. It was coming from, I think, Bloomingdale's. And like, how am I even on their mailing list? How did, how is this happening? So I felt like, okay, maybe this is a sign of approval from estate. like yeah. keep going. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> were there things that you had to learn about cosmetics themselves? Like I know you said, you bought some books about cosmetics, um, but while you were writing to kind of get the science part about that correctly, because I know I don't know anything about how makeup or skincare is made.
1: <laughs>
2: well, and also just like the jargon of the field. Yeah.
1: I'm sure you have to do that a lot with historical fiction to figure out what jargon people would have used.
2: Yeah. So uh, most of that came down to how, um, how people inside the industry talked about it, like, uh, what the conversations were between Estee and, say, uh, the people at Saks, the buyers at Saks. And I should say that, uh, Gloria Downing, the narrator, Ends up working at Saks Fifth Avenue. Starts out in the cosmetic department and works her way up eventually to being an assistant buyer. So you know through that you sort of get some of that inside uh, bird's eye view of you know sort of what was going on. And you know they they did pitches every Wednesday and Friday at Saks where people would come up and you know have their products and try and pitch them to the buyers. And, you know, not everybody even got in. And Estee was there like every week. You know, she just kept showing up. Um, so, uh, you know, not so much. Uh, there wasn't a lot of chemistry or technical talk like that. It was more some of the surprising ingredients that went into makeup back in the day. Uh, there was snail slime. And I think that was used to make nail polish lacquer shinier. Mm-hmm. Huh. Um, bat excrement. Um, little bit of, you know, arson and, uh, mercury, you know, just for good measure. <laughs> yeah. So there were things like that, 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 you know, went in to cosmetics and that was pretty shocking because there was no regulation back then. There was no way regulating it. Um, but, uh, so that's about as technical as I had to get. Thank God. <laughs>
1: Yeah, I imagine the FDA is not checking her kitchen. Yeah, <laughs>
2: yeah. Well, and, and she did eventually, when, when she got her first order at Saks, she couldn't possibly make that much product out of her kitchen. Mm-hmm. And so she ends up cooking her first batch of Saks Fifth Avenue products in a restaurant kitchen that she lived above. So she made a deal with the restaurant owners, you know, like, let me come in after hours and it was her and her husband and Leonard and you know they were all just making product it was like an assembly line that they had going so. do you
1: find that do you find that people are surprised ever that estee lauder is an actual person and it's not just a brand name
2: oh that's a great you know what i i will know i'll be able to answer that question more accurately probably in a couple of weeks when okay. i start to get reader feedback you know, I just always associated her face and her name, you know. Um, so that'll be interesting. I do remember when I wrote Park Avenue Summer, I was shocked by how many people wrote to me and said, I had no idea Helen Gurley Brown was a real person.
0: Yeah. Uh, I was like,
2: <laughs> I felt really old, but I was also like, wow, like that was yeah. such an interesting perspective. So maybe we'll hear the same thing on Estee Lauder.
1: Yeah, yeah, I think I remember being like eight or nine years old and being like, oh, Wendy's. Like, Wendy is a name. <laughs> and then, yeah. and then yeah. like 12, being like, oh, Vera Bradley. Yeah. Vera Bradley <laughs> is a name. So I wonder yeah. how many people just don't know.
0: Uh, I mean, in this sample size, I did not know that Estee Lauder was a real person.
1: <laughs> there you go. Really? No. My
0: mother Revlon was a real person. <laughs>
2: wow.
0: Again, my mother did not take me to the mall, did not buy me makeup. Um, <laughs> Katie was not she a girly girl. for the world. <laughs> So I'd love to know, what was your favorite part of the book to write? And what was kind of your least favorite? Like, did you love just, I mean, Gloria seems like she just spoke to you. So was it just, Yeah. did it just ease the pressure to be writing from her perspective?
2: Oh my God. I've never had so much fun with a book ever. Um, it just, it just poured out of me. And if you remember with Social Graces, that was not the case at all. I had to rewrite that book three times. Yeah. This one was just pure fun. And like one of my favorite scenes probably is when um Estee meets um Helena Rubinstein for the first time. And she was Madame Rubenstein, and she was, you know, cosmetic royalty. And Estee is up in the Saks Fifth Avenue buyer's office with her little samples. And she hears that. Uh, Madame Rubenstein is there and she literally goes up to Helena Rubenstein and thrusts her business card in her hand and you know Helena Rubenstein's like you don't talk to me who, who are you you know and they they have a little uh a little confrontation but I think that scene really shows that you know Estée was just so determined mm. and you know, she really wanted to become a household name. That was her dream all along. From the time she was a little girl, she wanted to be famous. She didn't care what she was going to be famous for, but she wanted to be famous. And, um, and I just love that scene, the interaction between those two women.
1: Mm. Well, I hope, uh, the Ruth Handler book is just as fun for you to write, uh, that you're getting ready to work on because we're big Barbie fans over here.
2: Oh my God. I'll tell you, Barbie's a tough old gal for, uh, you know, for someone who's only 12, 11 and a half inches tall, kicking my butt a little bit, but we're getting there. And I I am having a lot of fun with it. It's a very challenging story to write. And this is my promise to readers, because whether you love Barbie or you shaved off all of her hair in a fit of protest, (laughs) this book is going to speak to the feminists and all of us. You will learn why Barbie has such a tiny waist. It might not be the reason you think. Yeah. And where <laughs> her what her what her actual origins are. I love so, that. So yeah.
1: All right. Well, can you tell our listeners where they can find you, where they can find your other books, and then when this book is coming out so that they can buy
2: this one too? So this book uh will be out officially on April twenty-fifth. Um and uh so um you can go to my website, ReneeRosen.com, for all my events. I'm doing a bunch of uh, virtual stuff. I've got some in-person events in California, and Chicago, both in the city and the suburbs. Um, my official launch party is going to be at the Bookseller in Chicago on Lincoln Square. Um, that's April 25th. That'll be that night. Um, but I'm also doing a, a virtual event that afternoon with the makeup. There's There's a makeup museum. Who knew? I didn't know. So, um, so that that was. I'm really excited about that. I'm going to be talking with the makeup artist, um, and we're going to be talking all about the book and Estée. So that is a free virtual event for everyone. Um, and again, um, everything's on my website, ReneeRosen.com, and buy links for all my books and all that are there too. Great, yes. great, great, great. Well,
1: it's been so great talking to you again. We're really happy to have you back. We love our repeat
2: friends. <laughs> uh, thanks, and thank you for the new cocktail recipe. Yeah, I'm excited, of uh, excited I'm to to give it a try. that try. This
0: one's pink because, like, the next one's also probably going to be pink. Yeah. So
1: <laughs> we did a, we did Barbie on our show back in season one, but Barbie, not yeah, Ruth. not
0: Ruth Handler. Yeah, we had so. her end the story. But we did Barbie, <laughs> and
1: her drink was very ink with i think malibu rum in yep.
0: malibu. it, malibu barbie thing, so but we're so excited for our listeners to get this book and just keep being updated with what you're doing and you know when the time comes pre-order your ruth handler book as well mm-hmm. and get people excited about it so
2: that would be great that would be great